all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 13, concluding our series today in the kingdom uh, series, the kingdom parables of Matthew 13 with the story of the gill net or the drag net as it's called. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a drag net that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There should be wailing and gnashing of teeth. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Fishing was a major business in Bible times. It was accomplished primarily by three methods. Many, many people made their livelihood, made their living from the sea by fishing and uh, from also various freshwater lakes. Many, many multitudes of people uh, depended on fish as their primary food source. Uh, Fishing was important. Many of the disciples, of course, were fishermen. Three methods that they used are all mentioned in Scripture. So we know that the disciples were very, very familiar with all three of them. The first one, in fact, these three are still in use today. Uh, The first one was the use of a hook and line. A hook would be attached to a line. Some form of bait would be used, cast into the water, and they would catch one fish at a time. Uh, We know that the disciples were familiar with this and used this because in Matthew chapter 17, uh, Jesus told Simon Peter uh, when they had asked about the payment of taxes to go and take a hook and cast it into the sea. You'll catch a fish, it'll have a coin in its mouth, and you take that coin then and go and pay your taxes and mine. So we know that they knew about that hook and line fishing uh, where they caught one fish at a time. Uh, They also employed the use of what is known then and today as a cast net. Uh, These nets were circular in nature. Uh, They were weighted around the edges and so constructed uh, that they would cast it out and they were proficient at it so it would land uh, in a circle. And let me tell you, that's a whole lot harder than it looks. I've tried it. Um, and uh, if they cast it on the, on the uh, school of fish and it would drop down and uh, ca- those would be uh, captured in that net and then they would draw it to themselves. We know that the disciples were familiar with this uh, because in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus came to the disciples. They had toiled all night and caught nothing. And yet he told them, he said, cast your net. There it is, cast your net on the other side. And pull it in. And of course, uh, they caught so many fish in the net that they could not pull it in. That's not an uncommon thing. I've seen that very thing happen uh, in places in Florida where such nets were employed. And they would have to call for help because they could not uh, bring in uh, the great draw of fish. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples in John 21. So they knew about hook and line fishing. They knew about the cast net fishing. Uh, But this type of net is specifically called a drag net. The word that Jesus used is very similar to our word sane. Sane. If you've ever saned a pond 
or, or a river or, or been involved with anything like that, uh, then you're familiar somewhat uh, with this. Uh, such nets are also weighted. They're weighted at the bottom. Uh, they have a float at the top. They are designed so they hang vertically in the water. Uh, this particular type, the way it was used, and it's still employed today, uh, it would be anchored to the shore. A boat then would carry it out, and, a, and it would form a, a large circle. They'd come back to the end of where it was anchored, and they would let it sit or soak, as they call it, for a while. And then they would begin slowly to pull uh, that net in uh, so that, of course, the fish were unable to escape. Uh, for a while, the fish were not aware that anything was going on. If they were touched by the net, uh, they'd just swim a long way and, and everything would be fine. But as it gets closer and closer to the shore, of course, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Fish may try to escape, but they can't. They're drawn up to the shore. Now, a net is indiscriminate. It catches all kinds of fish. Whatever's out there, it catches. If there's turtles out there, it catches it too. It doesn't matter. There's some good fish. That's what they're targeting. Some of them maybe are not edible or, or were what they call then and today they would refer to it as bycatch. And that bycatch then would be uh, cast aside. Unfortunately, uh, most fish do not survive a trip in a gill net. By the time they're drug out on shore, the fish are dead. And uh, so that byproduct, as it was called then and now, is just discarded has to be destroyed. Jesus did not leave the apostles to wonder about what this implicated about his kingdom. He tells them immediately what it is. Uh, the disciples did not ask for clarification. Jesus did ask them if they understood and oh yes they understood. I think like us they understood all too well. They knew exactly what this meant. The kingdom, according to Jesus, is like that net. And according to him, it was already in the water. It still is. The fish represent humanity. How much of it? All of it. All of it. The fish may not be aware that the kingdom, that the net is in the water, but it is. And none will escape its power. All will one day be drawn to the end that Jesus describes. And he tells them exactly what this is in great detail. He said, so shall it be at the end. At the end of the world. The angels will come and sever the wicked from among the just. And shall cast them, the wicked, into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. You see, though, though humanity right now is allowed to operate, the, the net is in the water. That's the kingdom. 
And in a way, Jesus had addressed this whole issue because there in the water are all kinds of fish, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're all there. Uh, those would represent, as he describes it, the just, those who have been saved, those who are uh, the beneficiaries of the gospel, who are a part then subject to the kingdom there and there. And all kinds, though, of undesirables are, are there as well. And Jesus said they apply to the wicked, those who are not the subjects of the kingdom, those who have not been saved. The net's in the water. For a while, you see, humanity will operate pretty much on its own. It will do what it does. The good will be there, but the bad is there too. But unbeknownst to the fish, the net is being drawn all the time. And it's drawing then humanity toward an inescapable, inevitable conclusion. And that conclusion, Jesus Christ, your King and mine, calls the end. The inevitable conclusion when judgment will come. And those who are not just, those who have not been justified, those who are not the children of God through Jesus Christ, they're going to be cast into what Jesus called a furnace of fire. And that is nothing else than the place the Bible calls hell. I've heard preachers preach about hell almost excitedly. But I want you to know that every sermon I've ever prepared on hell has broken my heart. And I wonder, I've always wondered, how preachers could preach about the reality of hell Without shedding a tear or two. This subject is so awful. It's hard for us to consider. That there is an eternal place called hell. That is filled with fire that though we cannot define, we understand it. There are people are tormented in the fires of hell forever. Forever. It's not politically correct these days. And since the Bible message as a whole is being perverted so badly and the gospel is so watered down, it leaves little room for the concept of eternal punishment. Preachers who refuse to even preach about sin almost certainly are not going to preach about hell. Now, hell comes into most of my gospel presentations. We refer even to preachers as being a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And I've heard people talk badly about them because that's all they preached. Well, I, I include the reality of hell in my gospel presentation because, folks, we are saved from something. We're saved from our sins, but ultimately we're saved. From the furnace of fire, as Jesus called it in our text, 
from an eternity in hell. The reality of hell then undergirds our gospel presentation. But you have listened to me preach long enough to know that most of my preaching is either through the books of the Bible or through passages like this. One of the reasons why I do that is because I respect the authority of Scripture. God wrote it all. I think I need to preach it all, at least as much as I can. And, and, and the way I do that, by preaching through the books of the Bible, it keeps me honest because I don't just pick and choose this and this and this and this and this and leave out this and this and this and this and this. That's way too easy for us to do. I don't really trust myself. So when I preach through the Bible, <laughs> I just preach whatever's there. Why am I preaching on this subject today? Because it's there. And while he had talked to them before about the tares and the wheat, it was really a little different because he told them, listen, the tares are in the wheat. The enemy is put there. The servant said, Lord, do you want us to take it out? And he said, no, leave it alone. The angels will take care of it at harvest time. Remember that? But now he gives them a little different view of things because he shows them that the kingdom is in the world. It's already there. The net it's already out there. And it's going to draw all of humanity toward an inescapable, inevitable conclusion, the end. And that end is nothing more than judgment. Don't be confused. This passage is not in here in order to give us great considerations about the second coming. That, that's not there. You might be saying, well, is he talking about the great white throne judgment? Or is he talking about... The judgment seat of Christ or, you know, is it going to happen before the tribulation in the middle or after? Is this going to be at the millennial reign or sometime after that? Listen, this passage is not there to give those kinds of details. He's talking about the kingdom. And he's telling us that the kingdom is in the world and it's like a net. No one is going to escape its power or influence. It is going to draw all of humanity, all the world, toward this inescapable conclusion, the judgment. It's going to happen. It's real. And this is one aspect of the kingdom. Now, every message that Jesus preached did not speak only about hell, but he did preach about it a whole lot. One writer suggested that uh, if Jesus hadn't have preached to us about hell, we probably wouldn't believe it. And in fact, a lot of people don't believe it anyway. But it is so awful and it's so terrible, the idea of people being tormented in flames forever, so terrible that if Jesus himself hadn't taught it to us, we would really struggle with it. But he did. You know, in the rest of this message, I'm going to spend some time talking about the things he taught us about this furnace of fire we call hell. There's a chilling question recorded in the Bible or exclamation. and It's in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33 and Jesus was talking to a group of very, very religious people when he called them a brood of vipers and asked them that soul-chilling question, how can you escape the condemnation of hell. 
You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day claimed to revere the prophets. In fact, they went so far as to say that had they been alive, unlike their forefathers who killed the, the, the prophets and rejected their message, oh, no, they said, if we would have been alive, it had all been different. We would have listened to Isaiah. We would have repented at the preaching of Jeremiah. We would not have treated a, a Ezekiel like they treated him. We would not have done to the prophets what our forefathers did. And yet Jesus presents this passage of Scripture to tell them that they were worse than their forefathers because they had rejected Jesus Christ. And their rejection of him was proof positive they would have rejected all the other prophets as well. But ultimately, it's their rejection of him that causes this statement to be made, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Simon Peter would later preach it in Acts chapter 4. He said, There is salvation, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. To reject Jesus Christ is to face the full force of the condemnation of hell. And outside of Jesus Christ, there is no escape. The difference between the just and the wicked was not their lifestyle. It's what they've done with Jesus Christ. We can put this plainly then. There's no way to escape the condemnation of hell except to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There's nothing else. The division that Jesus presents in this passage between the just and the wicked is irreversible. According to Jesus, hell is every bit as eternal as heaven. He makes that point in a way that's very, very plain. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, he said, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. That's from the King James Version. And I want you to know that the word everlasting in that passage and the word eternal at the end of that passage is the exact same word. And that is reflected in the ESV translation, which I also have for you today. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we believe in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, then we must also believe in eternal punishment, an eternal place the Bible calls hell that's going to be endured by those reject him eternal life is real then eternal punishment is also real Jesus taught both when he described it as a furnace of fire he gives more information about it in Revelation chapter 20 verse 13 and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire you see According to this passage, it isn't just saved people who will enjoy a resurrection from the dead. Lost people will too. All of humanity, everybody who's ever lived, 
is going to enjoy a resurrection or experience, maybe would be a better word, a resurrection from the dead. Lost people, the wicked, will receive one. When a person you see dies without Christ, their body may be put into the ground, their body might be cast into the sea, their body might be cremated. Their body experiences the reality of death. Though their spirit goes to a place of torment, the Bible calls hell. Revelation chapter 20 then tells us there's going to come a time when death gives up the body. And there's going to come a time when hell will give up the spirit. And all people who have died without Christ then are going to stand before him as he judges them. And the Bible says they'll be judged according to their works. You say, why would people be judged according to their works? Let me tell you something. If you don't want to face the reality of your works, I've got a simple plan for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Because then, you see, all of our sins are paid for by him. But if you don't have that, and those people will stand before him in judgment to pay for their own sins. All of them. And he's got a record. They'll be judged according to their works. That's what the Bible says. They could have believed on him. They could have received his salvation, but didn't happen. They could have had their sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. Didn't happen. They could have lived out the truth that the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be what? Saved from wrath through Him. Revelation 20 describes a great host of people who are going to experience God's wrath for all eternity. Fires of hell are not a fire that we're familiar with. The fire we know depends on heat Fuel and oxygen has to have all three. If it loses any one of those, runs out of fuel, uh, doesn't have oxygen anymore, uh, runs out of heat, or has that heat uh, uh, taken away by something like water, uh, then it doesn't continue. We know about the fires called by nuclear fission. We know about the fires called by nuclear fusion. That is star fire, and it doesn't depend on... It has to have fuel, but it's, as far as I can determine, it's not really dependent on the presence of oxygen, uh, uh, nuclear fusion, but it still has to have fuel. Eternity, forgive me for saying this, but eternity is a long, long time. And a, a fire that, I mean, a star burns for a long, long time, but eventually it does run out of fuel. It might take it 100 million years or so, but it does, it will, it has to have fuel, and Every fire we know about has to have fuel. But obviously this one doesn't because it can burn forever. That's not a fire we're familiar with. 
has characteristics of fire, but it's not the same. Every fire we know about has uh, uh, then the ability to be quenched. And yet Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 and verse 44 that there the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. You say, well, what's the worm? Well, the worm in Scripture speaks of the process of corruption or decay that hits a body when it dies. And he describes then this body as continually being subject to the worm decay and yet it never stops. The pain of death continues. And the fire never ever goes out. Jude 13 though describes this. The hell is a place of absolute darkness. What kind of fire doesn't put out light? Now some of you are immediately going to think of an alcohol fire. Turn out the lights and you'll find out that alcohol does put out light. <laughs> it's perfect blue light. It's real pretty. You can't see it in daylight, but it's still there. But this fire doesn't create light because in hell is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Not trying to tell you this morning that this isn't real fire. It is. It's just not a fire that we're familiar with. I'm going to share with you quickly then a few things that we need to put in our program. By putting it in our program, I mean we, we, we program it into our hard drive. We, we put in our minds and hearts things to remember. I love Ezekiel 33 and 11 where God said, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in the death and eternal judgment of the wicked. Ezekiel 33 and 11. 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not willing that any should perish. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Jesus came to call them to life. He still is. They refused. He would say to that same group, John chapter 5 and verse 40, You will not come to me that you might have life. Why did Jesus preach so much about hell? Because he knew that the furnace is real. He knew that unless these people turned to him, they would go there for all eternity. It's not God's intention. He did not design hell and create hell for people. How do I know that? What Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 41. 
Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. But people go there because they refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do then with this message? What does this message about the kingdom teach all of us? Why did Jesus conclude here? I believe he did it for two reasons. Number one, he wanted his followers to remember that there is a real place called hell. And that our friends, their friends, our loved ones, just like their loved ones, our acquaintances, just like theirs, our neighbors, just like theirs, was facing the same choice. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or to face the furnace of fire forever. God's people need that message because it helps us overcome our natural fear of sharing the gospel and our inclination to keep our faith to ourselves. The other reason that he preached it was because the people of the world need to know what we know. You say, well, they won't believe it. I know they won't. They'll make fun of it. I know they will. They'll write songs about it. I'm on the highway to hell. Yep. Brag about it. Laugh about it. I want to go there because it's a great big party. Let me tell you something. Hell is not going to be a party. If I go to hell, all my friends will be there. How will you know? It's dark. Absolute darkness. You're not going to have any friends there that you can find. And yet Jesus preached to us again and again and again about hell. He calls us to do the same. To warn people about the wrath to come. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood for our sins, he did so knowing that he paid the price so that we could avoid that eternal condemnation in the furnace of fire. I ask you this morning, not do you know about Jesus? No, that's not what I'm asking you. Not do you know about heaven? I'm not asking you that. Not that you know about hell. Oh, no, I've taught you a lot of that Jesus said about hell. I know you know as much about hell right now as you need to. I'm asking you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm asking you, can you go back to a place in your life, to a time? I don't care if you remember what day it was or what time it was or what the weather was like, whether it was summer, winter. Or I, I, can you go back to that place in your life where you asked Jesus, where you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, where you asked Him to forgive you of your sins, where you in your own words, as the Bible says, called upon the name of the Lord. Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can you remember when you asked your wife to marry you? Or can you remember when your husband 
pop the question. Say, man, that was 40 years ago. I remember most of the 27 times that I asked Nancy to marry me. <laughs> Started on our first date, I think, if I remember correctly. I, I, I knew where this was headed a long time before she did. It took me a while to talk her into it. But, but I, I do remember both times that I put that ring on her finger. She might not want me to tell you that, but we did. Then we broke up. Then we got back together. It was, it was a long process for us. It was over by the time we turned 19. Okay, let me just throw that out and move on. Do you remember? Of course you remember. Sure you do. Sure you do. Do you remember when Jesus saved your soul? You remember. See, this isn't just something we get by simulation. Well, if I hang out in church long enough, it'll happen for me. No. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've been saved this morning, you need to follow him by baptism. In baptism. He went to the cross. You go to a heated tank. But in that tank, you profess your belief in the buried and resurrected Jesus Christ and you identify yourself with Him. That's what that's all about. Are you a part of a church? That's what He asked you to do. Saved, baptized, added to the church. You see it in Acts. You see it all through the New Testament. That's the point. Are you living for him? In light of what he saved us from, it's a good thing for us to ask ourselves that question before we leave today. Let's stand together.